Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 71 of the Camino Voice. Today, I have a returning guest. Please welcome back, Levon Youngoyan. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Camino Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. Uh, on this episode, I got to speak with uh, Levon again, uh, and we got to talk about how the fire department has really adapted with COVID. Um, we actually, <laughs> we found out, the last time we talked was actually over a year ago, which is just crazy. Um, so he's now a year and a half into being the fire chief of the Camino Fire Department. And um, yeah, obviously it's been a really crazy year, and especially for people that have been on the front lines. So we really just wanted to sit down and talk and see how has COVID really changed how they respond to calls? Um, how do they still be active in the community um, despite not being able to host events or classes or some other things that they used to do? Um, and so they've been kind of creative in how they've done that, uh, as well as how do they continue with communication, um, team building, and everything like that. So um, wanted to get a check-in with the fire department to see how everything's been going and kind of their how they've seen how this year has gone from their perspective. So anyways, without further ado, here's my conversation with Levon Youngoyan. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice. Today, I'm here with a returning guest, uh, Levon, the fire chief of the Camino Island Fire and Rescue. Welcome back. Thanks, Brandon. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So a, a little bit has changed since we last talked on episode 25. Uh, yeah, what's how's that been going with you? You know, it's hard to believe that it's already been well over a year since I sat down with you last mm -hmm. time, and uh, it's been going great. Of course, uh, we are just in this crazy world that we're all living in right now with COVID response, and I know we'll talk about that today, but overall, I, just, I couldn't be more pleased with the progress in the department and everything that we've been working on. Nice. And, and when did you officially take over as the fire chief? May 1st of uh, 2019 is when I started. Okay. Yeah, so, so about a year and a half, almost exactly. <laughs> Nice. So a good first year to get your feet wet. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. been wonderful. <laughs> Very cool. So what are some of the changes that you've seen um, since COVID started? I guess from a department level starting there, um, how have you guys reacted to it there? Uh, you know, it's really, it's interesting that we've been doing this now for, we're going on seven months about since everything really started. And yeah. the first few months were so dynamic, a lot of unknowns, a lot of uncertainty. How do you contract COVID? Is it sitting on things? Is it airborne? How do mm -hmm. we protect our firefighters and continue to serve the community? Mm -hmm. um, we've been doing a lot of work with the local fire departments to come up with a consolidated response plan. So we all operate similarly so when we transport to the hospital, people are in similar levels of PPE, personal protective equipment. Uh, so in those early days, those first few weeks, I think we had a new operational plan sometimes twice a day. It was evolving that quickly. We were having regular briefings with our staff. Here are the updates. Now we're doing this. Now we're doing that. And it's nice to see that over these last couple of months, we've started to settle a little bit into how we operate and kind of, <clears throat> I hate to use the term new normal, but a little bit more about... Um, how we know we're going to just operate on every call now. Yeah. Okay. So then from a, you know, there was that like just crazy period where things were all coming out and we didn't understand anything about this yeah. virus. And so how have um, 
where have you guys kind of settled on? Because I, I there's still a lot of different information on like how this is transferred, how mm. it's working, is it evolving? Where are you guys at when it comes to that? You know, I think for the most part, we had a period over the last probably five of the last seven months where we were just in our highest level of personal protective equipment on every single call. So for us, that includes gloves, an N95 mask, full goggles or a face shield, and a gown. And that's a lot of PPE to wear, and it's really impactful on the crews that are trying to provide that service. Mm -hmm. So as the numbers have started to come down, we've been able to go to more of a tiered PPE model. So it's a relatively low-risk call based on the dispatch information or what the crews find on scene. They'll just be in a mask and glasses and gloves, and I'll have to take that extra level of precaution. But if there's something in the dispatch that says, of course, flu-like symptoms, or you know, early on it was recent travel out of the country, or something that would key us in that this may be a likelihood of a COVID case, they'll put that extra level of PPE on. Got it. Um, we've also changed. Uh, we used to, if people that have called 911 know, you call 911 and here comes three, four, five firefighters mm -hmm. crashing into your room or into your house. And we've changed that as well. Now we send one firefighter in to really gauge what the need is and then other people come in as necessary. So we just want to reduce the exposure mm -hmm. of our crews to people, reduce the amount of PPE that we have to use. Uh, those are just a couple of the changes that we've been seeing. Yeah. So are, have you guys had to show up on a lot of the calls related to COVID or, yeah, how's that kind of going? Yeah, you know, we've we've had uh, quite a number of cases on the island. I think um, everybody's probably been in touch or seen the information that Island County Public Health puts out around the call. So we've certainly had our fair share of cases. Um, a lot of times, of course, when we're there, we don't know if they're positive or not. So right. we're just going to make that assumption that they are and treat them and treat our safety as if they are, uh, in fact, positive. But we've certainly had cases that have come across. Um, that, of course, impacts us in how we transport to the hospital. We've done a lot of work with our apparatus. How do we decon after calls? So things just take a oh, little yeah. bit longer right now. The handoff at the hospital takes a little bit longer. Getting the crews back in service takes a little bit longer with all the decon that we have to do. Um, so obviously we haven't been as impacted as some of the other counties in the state, especially, you know, locally, uh, but certainly our fair share of cases. Right. And have you guys had to go out onto calls outside, a lot more calls outside of this area, or you've been able to stay pretty local? Uh, you know, I think it's pretty typical. Of course, we do a lot of mutual aid back and forth with North County into mm -hmm. Stanwood and the areas around Stanwood. They come and help us out. We go in and help that, them out. Um, I think everybody uh, experienced a bit of a lull in response volume kind of in that April, May time frame, and now things have certainly picked back up. So, okay. yeah, we go into Snohomish County quite a bit, and they come out and help us out quite a bit. Got it. Um, so is that something that you've been noticing? Have you been seeing um, – I was kind of curious on that with – call volume and stuff like that with less people travel. I mean, now I think there's more people moving about. There's different phases, obviously. Um, but over the course of the last like six to seven months, was your call volume going way down? Yes, it did go down significantly those first couple of months. I think, again, so much uncertainty. People were afraid to call 911 or I didn't want to go to the hospital because I was afraid that I might catch it there. So we saw... Uh, maybe a 20% increase in the number of transports and things that we did in that May-June time frame. Mm -hmm. And then uh, as an Islander, you know, for me, it just seemed like the island was incredibly busy this summer. Right? And it makes sense. You know, I keep hearing about people you know, wanting to get out of the city and what yep. more beautiful places there to go than Camino Island. Yep. Uh, but even outside of our medical calls, uh, call volumes were really high over the summer. Really? Um, by middle of July, we ran more marine rescues than any previous year. 
Fourth uh, of July, which is always a busy day, I think we've increased by a third the number of calls from previous years. Wow. I think just uh, my sense is that the island has just been busy. A lot of people are here in their second homes or they're vacationing here, yep. uh, just trying to get away a little bit. Yeah. So on the marine calls, do you guys have to work with like Coast Guard or anything for that? Or is that just you guys going out? to help out? You know, we're the primary responders around Kamano Island. We do respond a lot with the Woodby Island Fire Departments. Uh, when we have a true marine rescue out in Saratoga Passage, we like to have two boats on the water because it can be dangerous. Mm -hmm. So usually the fire departments locally are the first response. Okay. And then we'll be in touch with Coast Guard. And if we need their assistance, then they'll send a boat out or a helo out, but that can be somewhat delayed. So we are the primary response agency for marine rescues in the area. Wow. Okay. I guess I didn't realize that. Um, yeah, I, I actually going back to the 4th of July, that was a very, I think one of the most interesting 4th of July's I've ever been through. Um, not just with the, the number of people that were out and about and doing things, but because there was none of the large scale, uh, firework events that normally go on. Yeah. Um, every County, like I, I live in Skagit County, so they were a lot, they actually ended up not being as strict, but they were saying they were more strict. They were saying like no fireworks and city limits and all these different things, but by the day of, like, and I think Stanwood had a pretty open, like, allowing of fireworks, um, or if they didn't, on the day of, they were, people were ignoring that, because they were people setting up along the streets. As I was driving home, it looked like a war zone. I mean, there was just, the entire street was filled with smoke. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think more yeah. and more, you know, uh, different municipalities are banning fireworks around 4th of July. And I know it's something that comes up every year. I know the county commissioners have that discussion quite regularly. Um, we always prepare for a very busy 4th. But as more municipalities in our area uh, put prohibitions on fireworks, of course, people are coming where they can do that. And uh, Camino Island is such a popular place to do that. You, you speak about it being like a war zone. Sometimes yeah. you're down in the beach communities. It's incredible, the shows. Uh, that the beach communities put on just yeah. on their own. It does feel like that sometimes. Right. But yeah, I felt the 4th was just uh, everywhere I went just seemed to be very crowded with people this year. Yes. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think there was, I mean, there was political stuff as well, I think, that was going on with it. So I think it was, there was a lot of different levels that were going on, and they all just kind of culminated on that. And so... Yep, yep, um, agreed. It felt very weird. It was a very busy forth and everything in this area for sure yeah and it just seemed to kind of continue on you know oftentimes i expect uh you know hot labor day holiday memorial weekend fourth of july some of those busy weekends yeah um, but it seemed like everywhere you know we didn't travel anywhere over the summer and it just seemed like every weekend there was an incredible line of cars that was coming yeah. on to onto the island again when we love it here we love living here uh, it's an incredible place to uh, be a resident mm -hmm. an incredible place to serve and i just think you know maybe people are finding that out a little bit more Right. Well, and I think, yeah, I think a lot more in-staters are exploring their local areas because they can't fly. They can't fly. They can't go out of state or, um, yeah. you know, we're being discouraged not to. So I think they're kind of looking at, okay, well, what's in my general area? Hey, that's an hour and a half drive away. I can get there. Right. Uh, well, as, as you know, I think last time we talked about some of the traveling my family we've been trying to do over the last few years. Yeah. And of course, we weren't able to do that this summer, but we kept saying, what better place to be, you know, a little bit isolated is than Camino Island, right? Mm -hmm. we, we love it here and we love our home and it's been really, you know, in terms of having to deal with a lot of the lockdown, you couldn't ask for a much better place to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so have you guys been having to work at all on the uh, kind of tailoring of people that are coming on the island or anything like that as far as, um, you know, I, I know a lot of the, even now there's, there's the, the, 
what public health is still saying is try and stay to your counties, try and stay local. Mm-hmm. Um, have you guys been involved in that at all? You know, only to the extent that I'm really proud of our outreach program. Um, the woman, Bromley Mishler, who's in charge of our communications program, she's done a great job of just trying to educate our community and, of course, any visitors that come to our community. So we do a lot of trying to pass on information that um, the public health department is putting out or the mm-hmm. CDC is passing out and, of course, just our own information. So only to that extent. Unfortunately, I think that's probably an area where we're forced to be a little bit more reactive as opposed to proactive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's kind of... Yeah, it's hard to monitor all of that as well. Yeah, it it really is. And I think it's also there's so many organizations and entities that are involved and want to make sure that we're playing to where our strength is and really mm-hmm. where our uh, core function is and letting those other agencies play to where their core strength is. Right, yeah. right. Um, and then uh, one of the things that we were we talked about on the last podcast um was communication and how that was different being in a like a city state or city environment where you just have one fire main fire station you're working out of versus having multiple um and now i'm assuming that's even more difficult due to the fact that you know pass downs and stuff like that have to be a lot more i don't know spaced out or something how how has that kind of shifted with communication you know it uh it's been hard it's been really uh, challenging in a lot of ways for us to communicate. Again, we were having a lot of daily briefings and, of course, all meetings for the longest time were just strictly on Zoom. And it's still how we primarily do regional meetings. And uh, we moved our commissioner meetings to Zoom platform uh, and other online platforms. Uh, I'm a very uh, social person, and so that's a really difficult platform for me to operate under. Again, now that I think we have a better idea of how we can keep each other safe, which is you know, primarily by wearing masks, it's a little bit easier now to get out and see people. Um, it's really one of the things that I've tried to focus on the most over the last few months is I know uh, people are stressed. Maybe they're stressed by what's going on at work. Right. There's just another element of risk that's going on. Maybe there are things that are going on at home, but... Uh, this is weighing on everybody and, and our firefighters yeah. included. And I know that one of the best things I can do is just to get out to the stations, uh, see people, check in, see how they're doing, answer questions that they may have. So it's one of those things that um, kind of is a little bit cyclical for me. Sometimes I'm in the office a lot trying to get that type of work done. And then sometimes I just try and spend a lot of time getting out yep. uh, to the stations and doing that. The other piece of that that I really miss is the community meetings, You know, just not having the community groups to engage with um, or only doing that via some type of online platform. Right. Well, on top of that, you also, you guys do CPR classes and medical training. How have you guys kind of evolved that? Yeah, unfortunately, we've really had to just put a stop to that. So our stations are still closed to the public. We have not been able to do any CPR classes or a lot of the things that we normally do. Uh, we usually have a big annual haunted house at one of our stations, which is an event that's been going on for maybe almost 20 years. And we're having to cancel that for the first time. Oh. So it's been hard to lose some of those opportunities to engage with a community. At the same time, I have to hand it to the firefighters. They've done a great job of being creative around how to continue to do a little bit of that outreach. I don't know if you saw the birthday drive-bys, the birthday celebrations Mm -hmm. that the firefighters were doing. Oh, no, I didn't see those. Yeah, Yeah, when we were really in the midst of lockdown, uh, May, June, into July, um, they would go out, people would send a request and say, uh, my son, my daughter's having a birthday, and we would go out and we would just drive by in the fire engine. We would have a sparky 
uh, that was there wearing a big sparky <laughs> mask that they developed and just from afar be able to at least, you know, wish that person a happy birthday. Because for the kids, right, yeah. they can't have their normal celebration. So, oh, that's great. Yeah, I was really just proud of the team to come up with some creative ways to do that. And even now we're thinking about this is normally a time when we would do a lot of public education in the schools. Right. Again, that's very difficult right now. So trying to think of creative ways to keep doing that work. Yeah. And have you tried, have you guys been uh, doing that at all through online or anything like that? Uh, a little bit. Um, we did, if you follow us on our Facebook page, uh, a lot of the firefighters read storybooks. Um, okay. So people could log on and, and the, the firefighter would read a story to them. We did a lot of videos around uh, kind of messaging around keeping, you know, six feet of distance and wearing a mask and those types of things. Uh, so again, just some really creative ideas out there. Yeah. No, that's that's great. Um, so you mentioned before, do you, that the, uh, you jump on meetings with like, uh, the commissioners and stuff like that. How has the overall Island County seemed to be dealing with COVID with everything that's going on? Uh, you know, again, as Camino Island, we're always in a bit of this awkward uh, position, partly, of course, part of Island County, but also just well uh, tied to Snohomish County. So mm -hmm. we've done a little bit of both. And I just think it's been incredible to see uh, how the groups have come together. Um, I would meet weekly with the Island County reps, with their DEM, the public health, and just to keep us abreast of what is going on, exchange ideas, uh, work very closely, still working closely with the Snohomish County fire chiefs. They were just so kind to welcome us in as part of their operational plan because they're the ones we respond with the most. And that team has just done a phenomenal job of coming up with a regional approach to how we handle what is going on. I just can't say enough uh, great things about what that team has done. And we feel very fortunate to be part of that. Yeah. So as far as what, what do you mean by like a regional approach? Um, so for example, uh, we have, um, what the Chiefs would publish what we call a playbook. And that's what was changing quite often when this all started last spring. So what PPE are we wearing? Uh, what kind of trigger points do we have for firefighters to stay home from work? Because you know, one of our biggest fears is as if we have one of our entire shifts that we have to put into quarantine, uh, that's a third of our workforce and how do right. we continue to function? So we have some really strict guidelines around daily health checks, uh, asking people to take their temperature and those types of things. So to work with, uh, again, not just Camino Fire, but all these other fire departments and have a common playbook about how we do those things yeah. uh, certainly helped us. There's a lot of uh, very smart people out there that we were able to uh, take advantage of some of um, you know, their thoughts around how to do this. But also when we go to transport to a hospital, we're not walking in with one level of PPE and another department's walking in with a different level of PPE. So there's that confusion. So great communication between the departments, communication with the public health, communication with the local hospitals. Um, I've never seen anything like it. It was truly a, a great effort by everyone. Yeah, very cool. And, and is that something that, um, like, so everyone's been... Sorry, lost my train of thought there. Um, but yeah, so so everyone's coming together. And then it also helps you from a working together standpoint so that one group doesn't come in and, you know, they've got different standards of what they're looking for with their team if a member, you know, has a slight fever or like certain levels of things. You guys all know that you're all holding to the same standard of you're working next to these people that you know are just as confident that they are good right now or healthy 
as yeah. the next guy. Yeah, no, that's that's a really great point, right? If we uh, have different guidelines for when firefighters stay home in quarantine versus where they come in and now we're responding together, yep. well, that doesn't do anybody any good. So um, yeah, I think that, that's a great point. The other piece of working together has been around the dispatch center. And um, again, I always feel like, I think I mentioned it last time, dispatch is a little bit of the unsung hero of emergency response, but they have been that first line of... Uh, questions and um, clues to is this potentially a COVID call or, or what is going on that can then key us into take some extra precautions even before we get there. So having all the fire departments coordinating with dispatch versus everybody doing it individually just made everybody's job easier. Right. Yeah, I actually got to interview um, Brenna Estrada. Um, she now owns uh, Three Brothers Bloom, uh, but she was a uh, dispatcher for uh, 16 years. Oh, really? And I was like, that sounds like a very intense job for that many years. And Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know how they do it. It's truly, uh, they do an incredible job, and it's a very difficult job. Yeah, yeah. And for her, she said it was when she had kids, and she said she was on these calls and stuff, and eventually, like, she started bringing it home more, where it was, it wasn't something she could just turn off, but now, like, she had kids, she could see her, them and in the situations and stuff, and it just became that her level of, you know, being able to handle that, that tolerance just started to fade with kids. And she's like, okay, I, I can't keep doing this. Yeah, and I think you know, last time I was on, Brandon, we talked a little bit about firefighter mental health, emotional mm-hmm. health, and how that's just coming to the forefront more and more. And again, the dispatchers face uh, the same type of thing. And it's truly been one of my greatest concerns around what's been happening this year as well. Yeah. I mean, we read all the time about uh, healthcare workers and suicides and just the things, the stresses that uh, specifically the people in the hospitals have been under. But I know our firefighters are certainly not immune to that. Again, they're, they're stressed in probably a number of different ways. And so yeah. um, we work really closely with our peer support team. Um, we work very closely with Stanwood Communal Incident Support, and they provide some services to us. And just to know that there's other eyes on our folks, making sure that everybody's doing okay and looking out for each other. Yeah. No, I think that's that's very important with what's going on right now. And I think um, you, you mentioned this before, but we've just been, and I think we're getting used to living in what we're living in right now. But the fact that we almost always live in a state of tension now. Yes. Um, it's very hard to just fully just take a breath and just, just like relax. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we see that with, with customers at times, um, you know, this, my staff have definitely dealt with difficult customers at times and it's just, it seems so out of place how like just, you know, rude or whatever it is over the top it can be at times, but it's, it's because, and I try to explain to them like, it's because everyone has this like underlying tension, whether they know it or not. Yeah. And then something doesn't go right. And like, that's the easiest target for their frustration. It really is. And we had a, a recall back to June where we have a, we have a leadership team that I, I call it. And we were talking about that and about how people are doing and how we support them. And really what we came to is the best thing that we can do for each other right now is just have that extra bit of grace mm-hmm. to know that people are under that extra stress, whether it's work-related, personal, whatever it is, everybody is feeling it. And right. so let's not be quick to anger. Let's not be quick to uh, whatever it is. Let's have grace for each other, cut people a little bit of slack and take care of each other. Right. No, I think that's that's very important, especially during these times. Yeah. And I think it's it's interesting to see how it's evolving, right? I and mean, we've over that kind of initial what's going on, how do we deal with this? 
and trying to settle into that long haul, right? And how is yeah. this going to last? And it's great when uh, we can st- still see some friends because we're sitting outside and we're sitting apart and everything else. But now with winter coming, how are we going to do that, both right. personally and professionally? Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's definitely uh, this winter, I think, I know okay. some people um, that struggle with the overcast, the rainy, like yeah. just all the time. Um, and uh, we're moving into winter where you can't even have outlets of going out and seeing people and other things. So right, right. It's gonna get uh, it's gonna get even more challenging. Yeah, for sure. Um, so then I, I want to uh, change a little bit on focus on how have you guys financially been doing then? Because that's all. I don't know. It's like I know st- cities and state or cities and counties stuff like that. Like they're not doing well because <clears throat> of course they plan their budget at the beginning of the year. Right. Um, and so that money's already spent and now we're hitting this massive thing. So how's the fire department kind of been doing with that? Well, in the short term, uh, we did well. We do have a reserve fund that's approximately 15% of our annual budget. And we've had that for years and it's for exactly this type of situation, these unforeseen circumstances. So of course we had a lot of extra costs associated with this. Maybe it was uh, overtime because we have firefighters on quarantine, uh, maybe it's, of course, extra PPE. We did a lot of stocking up on PPE uh, when it became available. Uh, so we have had those extra costs we were able to either absorb within our current budget or pull out of reserve funds. Um, we have been able to take advantage of some of the federal money that's out there. Of course, with an yeah. emergency declaration, there's public assistance money. Uh, that should cover 75% of uh, certain costs that are related to our response. So that's going to help out quite a bit. Yeah. So in terms of our kind of immediate financial need, uh, that's, been, that's been really good. When I look out a little bit further... Uh, we do have our EMS levy that is expiring at the end of next year. Okay. So that is a property tax levy that does nothing but fund EMS services and represents about a quarter of our budget. Uh, it's only a six-year levy, so we have to go back to the voters and ask them to renew that, which we'll be doing in February. So okay. that's probably that next piece is making sure that we get that EMS levy renewed. It's, it's just critical for our operations. And then kind of beyond that, of course, we are property tax based. I know a lot of the cities um, and other municipalities that rely on sales tax were really worried because people weren't shopping locally. They weren't going out. They weren't doing those things. Uh, We're property tax based. And so uh, right now we haven't seen any decreases in our property tax revenue that's coming in. Okay. We haven't seen major defaults on payments. Uh, We're not seeing drop in assessed values. Uh, again, I think like we were saying, right now, people seem to really want to come to Kamena Island. So right. assessed values are still going up. Houses are selling. All those things that are related to the housing market are primarily what we are driven by. Got it. Okay. I don't think I realized that, that that was how they, the fire department was funded. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of confusion. People think, oh, uh, because we're... Um, uh, local government, they think we're part of Island County and that our funds come from Island County. Mm-hmm. And uh, and no, we are our own taxing jurisdiction and it's purely up to our residents, our voters to decide what kind of funding we get. And again, we'll be going back to them in February to ask, to, ask them to support EMS. Okay. Okay. And then with the, I know there's other things and we don't have to get to like the speculation side of it, but I know in the, in Congress right now, there's a, the next round of bills that they're trying to get passed to help out and stuff. Does that help the fire department at all? Like, is any of the, I guess, on either side of those bills, is there money in um, provision for the fire departments? 
there are some. Again, I know, like I said, the public assistance grants help uh, fund some of our work. There are other grants that we try and go after that would help specifically around COVID. Uh, assistance to firefighter grants, uh, they've had a couple of special ones that are simply around uh, personal protective equipment. Okay. Um, we did in uh, jointly with Snohomish County, get an AFGS grant that would help fund some of the PPE costs. So okay. that has really been great. All of those pieces help. That's the direct help that we can get. And there's also that indirect help, which is, um, again, if there's money there to help people continue to pay their rents, continue right. to thrive, uh, you know, we're successful when our community is successful. And yeah. if Camino Island can continue to be vibrant, a place that people want to come and live, and we don't have a mass exodus or people that aren't able to pay their rents, then that's good for all of us, including the fire department. Right. Yeah. And, and from what I can remember, there's nothing um, that they pushed or anything about property taxes or anything like that as far as like, um, you know, not paying until the end of the year or anything like that. Like have have there been much of that stuff? No, you know, not at all. There were um, a couple of counties. I believe Snohomish County was one that puts a... Um, it wasn't that you did not have to pay your property tax, but they said that you could pay it, uh, they deferred it for a yes. certain amount of time. Okay, yeah. And, um, you know, I really, I had some conversations with Commissioner St. Clair about that. She reached out. Island County did not do that. Mm -hmm. And I know that some people were upset about that. But from the fire department's perspective, uh, that was critical for us. The money that we receive in property taxes this year doesn't go to paying for next year, right? It goes to paying our firefighters, putting rigs on the street, putting people in those rigs right now. And yeah. so the idea that um, we would defer those property taxes, I know some people really needed that, um, but it was critical for us to continue our operations. Again, we carry some reserves. We carry 15% reserves, but if you think about it, that's only that's right. six weeks worth of time. Yeah. Um, so I know that was a difficult decision for Island County to make um, and just appreciate that they, I feel like they heard part of our need and that did factor into their decision-making process. Yeah, because, yeah, that, that was happening. I heard that in a few different places and, um, and then they have other ones that are going on like uh, uh, payroll tax stuff. Like, But from everything I've heard, most of these types of tax things are just deferments. And so I don't think we're going to be out of this by the time those deferments come around. Right. And I there's going to be these massive tax bills that start hitting. And so I was kind of concerned with like their deferments, they're not covered. So. Right. You know, we think a lot, of course, about the long term. Right? I think that's one of my, my biggest jobs is to make sure that we have the stability and security in the long term. And mm -hmm. uh, something that we looked at with our board of commissioners over the summer, we had a budget retreat and we talked about kind of what if, right? What if this really goes south with the economy? What if we're back into a position like what happened in 2008 or worse? Uh, and we played with some scenarios and looked at how we could accommodate that. Again, we have some reserves. We have money set aside for apparatus replacement that we could use if we needed to. Uh, we do have borrowing capacity if we had to borrow some money to continue going. Mm -hmm. And we talked about you know the prioritization, which is uh, getting firefighters in raids, going to people's houses on calls. That's our number one priority. So if if things like station maintenance or apparatus replacement, if those things need to wait a little bit because of what's going on, then that is what we will do. So we feel like, uh, I feel like we're well positioned to head into what might happen. Right. And we've taken a bit of a conservative approach. We had a lot of uh, large projects that we knew we needed to do this year, replacement of some equipment at some of our stations. Uh, but anything that didn't need to happen this year, I said, let's wait. We can always do it next year. Uh, it's not a must-have right now. Right. So on some of those things, again, a bit of a wait-and-see approach and make sure that we 
cover the most important things first. Right. So with that being said, where do you kind of see, what do you see as the future? I mean, we've, there's a lot of unknowns and things like that. How long will this be here? All of these things. What's kind of your future forward thinking for your plan and everything? For the fire department specifically? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's mostly that. I think right now it's a bit of a status quo period for us, which is sometimes challenging. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's given us the opportunity to just look at a lot of our systems and processes and work to just get better at doing what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, I know that hopefully by next year, middle of next year, who knows when, but we'll get back on top of um, building the things that we want to build for the future. But right now, if this is just a bit of a breather, let's focus on uh, taking care of those that are in need. Let's focus on taking care of the firefighters that are providing that service. Uh, let's focus on just getting better with what we're already doing. That I, I think that's great. There's plenty of time for that big growth and planning next year. In fact, I'm hoping that next year is a time for us to start again, looking forward and working to develop that kind of three to five year strategic plan. But, uh, Right now, again, a little bit of wait and see. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think, um, yeah, I mean, there's just so much that's the, um, like, whether or not they can figure out, you know, I know they've talked a lot about vaccine and whether that'll work, but I've heard there's some, there's been some bad clinical trials on some of them, so some are being delayed. Um, you know, there's always the talk, and I think it's just a headliner grabber of, like, it's evolved. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so hopefully most of the time those are just uh just talking. But and I think the vaccine question is going to be really an interesting one. And when that comes out, um, I, of course, there's the piece of our departments. Of course, they're going to prioritize um, healthcare workers and whatnot for vaccines. So there's that piece. But we also want to be an active participant in helping get that out to our community. So we're mm-hmm. working with both uh, Snohomish County and Island County Public Health. Um, CDC reached out to us. Um, you know, we said we're happy to help become a point of distribution for vaccines, whatever we can do to help bring that here to Camino Islanders. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Um, yeah. Is there anything other changes, things that are going on right now or besides just trying to stay, stay afloat? <laughs> uh, no, like I said, I couldn't be more proud of the team that's here. I feel like everybody has, uh, done a great job of adapting to mm-hmm. everything that's going on. Um, there's the social emotional pieces that we're working through, but we're supporting each other. I think the uh, quality of care has been nothing but um, magnificent. Again, our, our firefighters do a great job, both with their technical care, the compassion they exhibit on scene. I mean, they truly care about this community. So yeah. when it comes right down to it, those things have not changed. And of course, uh, that's our intent to just keep that going. Uh, get through this period as a community and then yep. uh, move forward when, whenever this is all done, whenever that may be. Right. Yep. Very cool. Well, I normally end every podcast with rapid fire questions. I know we've already gone through them, but I did add a new one. So I was just going to throw that one out. You. Okay. Um, it's what purchase of a hundred dollars or less have you made in the last three months, uh, that you've enjoyed the most? A hundred dollars or less. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier about how do we continue to, uh, with the weather changing, uh, 
yeah. uh, continue to find sanity mm-hmm. and, uh, and socialize with friends. So my wife and I have been working to set up an outdoor area that we like to see friends, right? It's oh, outside. Nice. Uh, people bring their own, uh, you know, snacks or drinks or whatever else. We sit far apart. We can still see people. But with weather turning, we're working to make that a place that we can use even in the winter. So oh, nice. uh, part of it is going to be to enclose us. And so $100 or less, uh, my wife and I just bought a big old used window up at Skagit Salvage. Nice. And we're going to kind of build some, uh, a little bit of uh, space to help block some of the wind and the weather so we can right. continue to do that, continue to see those that are important to us and uh, find that sanity that comes with the socialization that we all need. Yes, for sure. Very that's a tough cool. question, by the way. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a good one. Well, it's kind of a fun one because um, $100 is a nice number that's like if it's below that and it's something that you've really enjoyed or something it's something that other people could try out and stuff and not feel like they have to make this crazy investment yeah yeah um so it's it's fun that's a great one all right well thank you again for joining me on the podcast again today absolutely brandon thank you for your time i appreciate it all right and islanders i will talk to you on the next one well a big thank you to levon Youngoyan for joining me on the podcast again and thank you for listening If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to CaminoCommons.com slash EP71. That's CaminoCommons.com slash EP71. Thanks for listening and see you next time.